2: This crowd rises to its feet. Letoro slammed it home. Darwin left wing, free ball, perfect. Darwin into the lane, locked. The Mowgli pop.
3: Allen blocked the shot at the rim. How with the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Town Podcast, part of the cast Media Family. I'm your host, Chester Ron. The Chase Town is presented by FUBO TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FUBOTV.com. I could not be more excited because for the first time all offseason, we actually have news to talk about. We have a new member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Congratulations to Amani Bates. Joining me today to discuss it is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy?
2: Uh going good. Um, it was it was uh it was weird to watch the draft, knowing as little as I knew, knowing knowing where the Cavs were gonna be picking. You know, I was just <laughs> I was just like just like a gentle idiot being led through the telecast, um, which is not too different from my normal day to day, but it felt especially notable. Um, but then you know, Cavs did stay exactly where they were. I think uh, you know, obviously, we all had eyes on a potential trade up and didn't end up happening. They stayed where they were, took a big upside swing on Amani Bates, and you know, I think that obviously we're going to dive in deep uh, on on the kind of player Bates is. Um, but you know, like uh, as, as as we talked. Uh, in our preview pod, at 49, your outcomes are are you know your standard outcome is not exactly great. So to swing for a top end talent, I think is a very justifiable choice, and really excited to dive in on the kind of player that the Cavs drafted.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it was something we talked about in the draft preview podcast that at 49, definitely understood taking the chance at uh, Monty Bates, uh, given his pedigree and uh, kind of the upside there, and to gently lead us to idiots. Through Amani Bates as well as the Cavs draft night is our friend Adam Spinella. Uh, you may find him from the Box and One. Uh, recognize him from last year's coverage game three pod uh game theory podcast uh with our buddy Sam Vicini. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you here.
4: Gentlemen, always good to be back with you guys. You you are two of the best in the business. Really enjoy always coming on and talking calves, talking hoops, and uh I will be gently guiding you two very intelligent gentlemen through this process here today
2: so i before before we dive in so uh in preparation for this podcast i listened to you and sam's live coverage of the draft and normally i don't like listening to live pods the day after because it's like okay you y'all are in suspense but i'm not so it's a little boring but you know a lot of a lot of places you know just weren't doing the level of deep dives i wanted so uh you know i listened to two of the best draft guys in the game and and it blew me away how often you guys were right ahead of time. <laughs> and like even about transactions, like like uh, Bilal Kulabali goes to Indiana and you're like, oh bet that's a trade down. It's was probably Washington that's just swapped uh, spots with them for maybe a couple second rounders. That was the deal. It was unbelievable. Though I think you really earned your hoops bona fides by how completely lost you were on all non-draft things. At one point you were like, it might be a commercial. And I'm like, what do you mean? How do you not know if it's a commercial? <laughs> Carter, to be fair, recent history this has, has grinded film. He doesn't know what a commercial is.
3: Suggested you can either be a commercial or you could be a two-time MVP and future NBA champion. So we don't really know what commercials are anymore
4: right absolutely right. And, not it and, and was I, amazing
2: coverage though really it was awesome i
4: appreciate that i struggled with the dress code stuff i think i've never felt older than seeing like i, I talked about this kobe buffkin showed up and just had a blazer on and no <laughs> shirt underneath and i i was so I, I didn't even know that was a fashion thing i was like is he not wearing a shirt here so i learned a
2: lot on draft night about tv coverage himself in the gym and watching film because you're like it was so good you were just like is is he not wearing a shirt you, you were you were adrift at sea, my friend, and I loved it. It was a great it was a great podcast. I really did learn a lot about these prospects and um, the way the draft broke uh, listening along uh, to you live the day after. So very, very well done, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that.
3: I, if I look that good, I, I wouldn't wear a shirt either. But in, instead, I just look old and sometimes wear a backwards hat to make myself look a little bit younger. But diving in enough about us. I, I'm excited to talk about Amani Bates. Uh, The other player that I I think we'll be getting into a little bit in this podcast is Craig Porter Jr., who there is reports uh, that the Cavs intend to sign to a two-way deal. I think it's important to note, though, that that is not official. Uh, There there hasn't been any official news from the Cavs on that. So uh, someone to to at least keep an eye on. Uh, We saw... Uh, that sometimes just because things are reported on Twitter doesn't mean it's actually going to come to pass. Otherwise, Malcolm Brognan would be with the Clippers right now. Uh, but let's start with what we know, which is that Amani Bates is the newest member of the Cavaliers, and this is a, a draft pick that you know I would call it. I wouldn't even call it divisive, but um, I, I think everybody at kind of the forty-nine spot understood it. They understood this as an upside swing. This is a guy that. Has a lot of talent, a, a, an impressive pedigree, a name that you recognize. I want to know, given the gap between how highly Imani Bates was thought of heading into college and then this kind of exit point of, of being the 49th pick, in your eyes, do you think that was an error in evaluation of what type of prospect he was going into college or a combination of errors in player development and decision-making from All Parties involved that uh, got him to this point?
4: It's a really good question. And it's one that I'm sure the the answer is going to sound way too political in some of this process on my end. But uh, even as five-star recruits or guys who have the spotlight on them at a young age, it is really tough to continually get better and find ways to You know, progress through your high school career, handle that fame and spotlight that's on you at a really young age and continue to get better and not settle into, hey, I think I've made it. I'm surrounding myself with people who tell me I've made it or I'm on the right track already. You have to continue to be hungry. And, you know, that might be a little bit too much of the school of Miami heat right now of like (laughs) we want guys from unconventional pathways who just continue working to get better and always have that chip on your shoulder. So I think there might be a little bit about Amani's path that allowed him to stray from that hardworking aspect necessarily of, hey, I've got to prove myself. I've got to continue to have that chip on my shoulder. Uh, But I also think that this is an inexact science. I don't want to call it a poor evaluation in some way. I think Amani always had some physical things that he needed to make up for with a ton of skill. He still has that ton of skill. He just hasn't quite figured out how to put it all together in a winning fashion quite yet. And that has led to various stops in college and the kind of what propels into being a second round pick.
2: Yeah, yeah that, I, I did. Go oh, ahead. go ahead, Justin. No, oh, yeah.
3: I, I was doing, I was going to say that that makes a lot of sense. Like I, in a lot of ways, like a political answer makes sense, right? Because there is nuance to all of this stuff, right? Like these, these character, uh, the, these NBA players and, and these prospects, they're not poorly written TV characters where it's like, okay, well, this is who he is. He's not really a fleshed out person, right? And like to to see Amani even after the draft talk about like the gratitude of the opportunity, and you hear how he, he's been working really hard to kind of take a lot of the lessons from his path and, and use that as motivation and uh try to prove some of the doubters wrong it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this kind of unconventional path for him ends up panning out
2: absolutely yeah. um i i wanted to just to ask like you know obviously like you know the second uh the the pick was in i watched your 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 scout video uh which was you know amazing as always it's super thorough and i i did the same thing i always do which is during the strength section i'm like oh, my God, you guys see this guy? And then by the weaknesses section, I'm uh, I'm in shambles. You got to start mixing them up because I, I I get too high and too low. But uh, I, I as only always, watch the strength that's that's, that, the way and, that's and that's the way to live. That's the way to live your life. Uh, but I did want to just ask for those that maybe are a little bit uninitiated uh, that, you know, have heard of Amani Bates, maybe seen a few highlight reels. What kind of player did the Cavs draft?
4: So they drafted a player who is really comfortable creating his own shot. Six nine, six foot ten, lanky shooter who has never met one he doesn't like. And as soon as the ball starts going through the basket, he has unlimited confidence that he's going to be able to make the next one. And that can lead to some incredibly impressive stretches of basketball where he is killing it in transition. He has some unbelievable scoring outbursts. But I, I think the challenge with a, a player like that, who I, I describe as requiring a long leash in order to find those moments when they get really hot is that they also will have some days where they go three of 16 or O of seven from three and the shot's not really falling that we, we call those guys bulk scorers. They need a lot of shots in order to find their rhythm. And with Amani, He just hasn't tapped into finding all of the different ways to impact the game for the better. He's much more reliant on that shot to fall in order for him to have a really positive impact. And believe me, there are nights when he is out there and he looks like one of the best scorers in the world. But I think as we all know, the higher up in levels of basketball you go, the more you need to be able to do to justify staying on the floor and the more scalable your shooting needs to become. You may not get 20 shots a night, when you move up to the next level and that goes hand in hand with sort of why is Amani Bates seen as more of a second round prospect? It's because he never really answered those questions of if the shot isn't falling, if you're not the number one option for this team, how are you helping us? He's still a bet on upside, but that's what we've seen up to this point. Do
2: do you think
3: the, the, the shooting, like the shooting splits are the result of shot selection? Like, uh, I, I guess the best way to put it is, is the shooting talent legitimate? Like, is is he someone that, you know, it's kind of hot or cold, kind of maybe in the, like, Kelly Oubre mold, uh, where, you know, he, he's going to take some tough shots and whatnot? Or is this a guy that maybe in a different setting, and we'll, we'll say within the structure of the Cavs, could get an easier shot diet, and that shooting talent is going to come through and shine a little brighter, and some of those percentages might elevate
4: Yeah, I think he's a very legitimate shooter. Uh, The stroke is pure. It's a high release. He's always been known as a really, really gifted shooter from range. But the percentages are a little bit lower for a ton of different reasons, right? One, he takes way too many difficult ones. He was expected to within the offense at Eastern Michigan this year, was kind of given carte blanche, and that was the role that he, he really undertook. But the other part of that is he passes down some open looks in order to take those one dribble step backs, to take those higher degree of difficulty shots. He needs to find ways to, to tame that down a little bit and thrive off the catch and shoot stuff. I also mentioned before volume as opposed to efficiency, that in order to get those five of seven nights from three, you've got to live with an O of seven night probably the next game around. He's not going to be like a J.J. Redick or a Kyle Korver a James Jones, you know, guys that Cavs fans have seen over the last decade who – dust him off off the bench throw him in there he's ready to go two of 3 from three point range like he needs to find a way to become a little bit more of that in my opinion but he is a longer leash type
2: of player how i got to ask about the eastern michigan trip you know i'm a mac man myself adam um uh and you know part of me kind of wonders do you feel like that eastern michigan uh transfer almost kind of Hurt his ability to, you know, define himself as a role type player at the next level because, you know, at Memphis you might have to play off ball a little bit. Uh, at, at in the MAC, if you're Amani Bates, you're gonna get to play pretty much however you want. Like, what are your thoughts about his his time, uh, in the MAC at Eastern Michigan?
4: I think in general, the school or the pathway that you select pre-draft is always so important to showcasing what you want your NBA role to be or answering the questions that NBA teams will have of you. When he was playing at Memphis a year ago, he was really cast more as like a jumbo point guard and playing more with the ball in his hands, trying to set the table for others. And, And after watching Imani Bates' film or just some of the highlights that you've seen, you can pretty easily know that's not his ideal role. So Memphis, I don't think, was a very good situation for him, and he needed to go to a place that was going to let him be him a little bit more. Uh, There can be a lot of conversations that you have about what's the best thing to do pre-draft. Is it to try to audition for the role that you're going to be in in the NBA, or is it to have a really successful season, prove that you're an NBA talent, and then figure out how to adjust to the NBA once you get there? So I, I think that there's there's merit to either pathway. And and that's why I'm not necessarily saying that going to Eastern Michigan was a poor choice for a guy like Imani Bates, but it certainly leaves a couple of questions unanswered about how he scales down his game. But the only reason that he's in a position to be picked 49th this year is because he had a much better sophomore season moving on from Memphis to a situation where he was just able to showcase his talent. And at the end of the day, my advice for any prospect or player is go where you're wanted. Go where you feel your strengths are going to be able to shine through and figure out the rest later.
3: Yeah, this this is such an interesting situation for me because the the Cavs, the strength of how they've turned this thing around has been player development, right? Like that is something that they've really emphasized. Uh, you, you got, you know, undrafted guys that have developed into rotation players in Dean Wade as well as Lamar Stevens. Darius Garland, a player that took some time. Colin Sexton uh, previously took some time. Uh, you, you've seen the growth with Evan Mobley. And with Imani Bates, Like there, there's certain things you just can't teach, right? Like the, the confidence to take those shots, it's something that can be listed as either a strength or a weakness, right? And, and the type of volume shooting from a player that long is a skill set that the Cavs really need. And I'm curious for your thoughts on... What skills you feel most confident that Amani has can translate to the NBA level?
4: Yeah, I think his scoring, first and foremost, is always going to be that that most translatable aspect of his game. The confidence is one that I'd like to see him continue to have because we can pick apart efficiency all we want. We see it in the stat sheets. It's easy to come up with. Like I said, when there is that 0 for 7 night from deep, really easy to go on Twitter and try to criticize that. But you, it's so much harder in the grand scheme of things, to find a player who's willing to continue to take those shots and has that unlimited confidence in yourself. I hope that whatever role Amani has moving forward, whether he's with the Cavs or in the G League, he's taking two shots a night coming off the bench, or he ends up getting to be the version of himself he was at Eastern Michigan down the line. Whatever version of him that is, be the confident version of yourself. Because if you lose confidence in your own game, it doesn't matter what the skills are and the traits that you you have on the court to impact winning. You need to be confident in order to do do those. So there's a little bit of self-creation. There's a lot of three-point shooting. I think he's an offense scorer guy. That's who he's wired to be. But he needs to be confident in doing that while also scaling down certain aspects to fit into a team system.
2: Uh, I want to ask you about his frame because that that is something that a lot of people you know have have made note of. I mean, he's he's huge. He's a very very tall guy, but very very slender. I think I saw he's listed at like one seventy, which uh, you know that seems impossible um, uh, given how tall he is. How is is that something he you think he's going to be able to add some functional strength onto, and, and you know be able to overcome some of that, or do you think it's going to be a, a thing he's going to kind of have to swim upstream on for quite some time?
4: You know, I'm no like biomechanical expert on how these guys continue to develop and add weight. If I did, I probably wouldn't be 5'10", 165 pounds myself. But like the thing with Amani is he's as tall as he is and skinny as he is. He's rather high-waisted. He's got really, really long legs. And for those guys, it is more difficult to sit down in a stance and guard. And when you are a little bit more lanky like that, The question is whether you should add weight to that frame and try to guard up the lineup a little bit more. So to me, this is a conversation. Is Amani more of a three or is he more of a long-term four and a stretch shooting four who just doesn't have that bulk or that frame yet? I'm not an expert as to whether he can put that on. I think he probably is a three. I think that's the best spot for him to guard, but I will say this about Amani Bates for him landing in Cleveland is probably one of the best case scenarios. Because as as I know we talked about last year and what I'm continually fond of with this Cavs team, having multiple rim protectors behind you at the same time always means that you're going to have that protection. You can get away with, hey, I have to pressure this guy on the perimeter. I can't just sit back. But if I get blown past a little bit more, I have that help behind me if I need it. I think Cleveland was the ideal spot to blanket some of the early career challenges that Imani is going to face on defense.
2: I also think it's culturally a good place because you know one thing. If you watch your scout video, that you note is the effort was very inconsistent on that end of the ball, uh, especially at Eastern Michigan. And if there's one thing that this coaching staff really cares about is you got to try. Like you, even Darius Garland, uh, all star point guard that does not have a ton of physical tools, he still has to go out there and work uh, as as to 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 earn minutes. And I I do hope that you know, as part of this culture can kind of wear off on a guy like Bates, where he kind of shows up to camp and goes, oh, man, these guys are are, are working even really hard in practice. And I'm going to get left behind if I don't join them at their, at their effort level.
4: I'm sure he knows that too, right? Like he and his camp, I think, have been fairly self-aware of trying to change the perception and understand the areas that he needs to improve. We saw that heading into the NBA draft combine this year. He didn't want to be a high volume chucker. He found ways to get his own shot off, but he was much more concerned about shooting off the catch quickly, reversing the ball a little bit more, and trying to show that he cared about the defensive end of the floor. I, he's aware that he's going to have to do those things in order to make it in the lineup and in the rotation here with the Cavaliers.
2: It yeah. kind of feels like the combine was a bit of a turning point for him, uh, in in terms of like slightly starting to reclaim that narrative that, like, oh, this guy, oh, this guy you know, shot the lights out at the combine. He did compete in in uh, in five on fives. And it feels like he maybe helped his stock just a little bit there.
4: Yeah. And, and coaches are always in the business of eliminating excuses, right? Like you're going to find ways to make sure that Amani Bates says, I'm going to defend or I'm not going to play. And it's very simple and it can come down to something as simple as that. I think having less of the offensive load on his shoulders at the next level will eliminate one of those excuses you can't say i'm trying to conserve my energy or i'm doing so much on the offensive end i need help on defense a little bit more like no your your role is simplified here we need you to defend we need you to knock down open shots play with confidence and it's that simple
3: mm-hmm. yeah it's honestly the two things that i found really encouraging one i think is a reflection of the organization which is when he got drafted, I saw a lot of smart people that I respect uh, that, that know about the draft, being like, this is a great landing spot for him. Like, this is a situation, not only in terms of personnel, but in their ability to get the most out of him. This is a great spot for Imani Bates. The other thing is what you mentioned, which is the self-awareness. The the You know, it seems like he's someone that wants to get better, that wants to kind of change the narratives that are out there about him. And to me, that's really encouraging because at the 49th pick, man, like you're not often getting upside. Like you, the, the upside might just be, hey, this is a guy that can crack a rotation and give you kind of solid to steady minutes. You're not really getting upside at that range of the draft. And it, it's exciting to have a guy that, you know, might be divisive to some people, but does come with that upside. And I'm I'm curious, as I say upside for the 400th time, I would like you to define that upside. Like what, what do you think kind of outside looking in, as he's entering the nba i know it's the hardest thing to to define and it sucks to to put a ceiling on a guy but where where do you think that that high ceiling or where do you think that ceiling would be yeah yeah thank you
4: Carter. Uh, all right so I'll, i'll definitely get a lot of cavaliers fans super excited here the best case scenario for who amani bates can turn into is some combination of michael porter jr and jordan Poole. some combination of being a really huge wing shooter who has that confidence to create his own, probably take some bad shots to go with it, but he's going to be able to do those things. And if he figures it out defensively and he fills out his frame a little bit more, he can at least stay on the floor in some closing lineups. Like I don't think Porter jr. Or Jordan pool ever cemented themselves as guys who are always unquestionably on the floor in a late game situation, but their offensive talent is so strong and so high that they remain consistent starters or parts of the rotation, guys who can just fill it up. That The chance of that happening for Imani Bates is not incredibly high. That's why he's drafted in the 40s, right? That's why he's at the very end of this draft. But if everything clicks for him, that could be the best version of Amani Bates that we see.
2: I want to ask a more kind of you know lower to median outcome kind of question, and it's a, it's a bit of a fill-in-the-blank game. So fill-in-the-blank, Amani Bates will make it as an NBA rotation player if blank happens.
4: Defensive improvement and self-awareness.
2: Hmm. So you okay. think the offense is is close enough like as as is uh that if if he just can hang on the defensive end that he can be helpful immediately. Well,
4: Defensive defensive improvement, and then self awareness on offense is going to be to really take, important to, to cut out
2: some of the the more uh, ambitious shots. Yes, hey amen. I'm fair.
3: I'm a man that loves some ambitious shots. I, I was I have a soft spot for it. I, I I love an audacious attempt or two. I, I'm curious though to to get him to either kind of these median or ceiling outcomes. What in your eyes? What would the best approach be for developing his talent? Because the one thing we said is, if the Cavs stayed at forty nine, we're kind of assuming that whoever they pick is likely going to be spending the, the season in the G League, uh, unless Monty Bates just you know kills it in camp and is clearly already ready. I think that's probably going to be the most likely scenario. Uh, might even be on a two way contract for this year. But when he if he is, in fact, with the charge and you kind of have carte blanche on how you're going to use him, would you be kind of refining his on ball game and decision making almost kind of like really building it around him or forcing him to play more of an off ball role to help him for that likely NBA transition and what he would be asked to do with the Cavs?
4: It's a phenomenal question, Justin. Unbelievable thought that. I don't really have a great answer for in, in that regard. Like I, I think it it really does depend on what Kobe Altman and the entire front office envision for Amani. If they want him to be that really confident guy and say like, when you come in here, it's not just catch and shoot attempts. We want you to be you. We're going to teach you how to be more efficient with your decision-making and you're going to become a much more efficient scorer by getting repetition with the ball in your hands. I can understand that approach. That might be the best way to, maximize what you get out of Imani Bates. But I can understand the flip side of that as well. Hey, we've got Mitchell and Garland. We want Mobley to operate with the ball in his hands a little bit. We need to find ways to space the floor around all of them. Your best chance of making it in the NBA is to listen to that, play that role here with the charge. And if you're shooting 37% from three, taking almost entirely catch and shoots, you will be with us next year and probably playing in the playoffs. So I get it from either side. I'm really fascinated to see what decision the Cavs front office makes on this one.
2: Well, one thing I know is that he is going to have the support of this front office and this coaching staff, just like this podcast gets his support from his video conferencing software. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom.
5: Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
3: Yeah, I knew you were stealing that from me. The second you said <laughs> the word support, <laughs> I knew you were stealing that from me carter is a stocks legend just like this next player we will discuss craig porter jr uh i i was pretty excited about this this was someone that I, my typical um approach for undrafted free agents or you know second round picks is i will enter their name i will filter on twitter to see who i'm following that has ever talked about this guy and all the draft nerds love this guy in fact I saw you had him as one of the players most likely to outperform their position in the draft, which, I mean, when you're undrafted, that is a low bar to clear. I'm curious for your thoughts. What, what is it about Craig Porter Jr. that kind of gave you that level of confidence that, hey, this is a guy that, that if he lands in, on an NBA team, has the chance to show better than, than his draft position?
4: Yeah, unique pathway. Uh, to get to the NBA, I always try to bet on those guys. I know we talked about it with Monty Bates a little bit earlier. Like Somebody who's been through a little bit of adversity prior to getting to the NBA has that chip on their shoulder is something that that I really value in this non-traditional path of, okay, I'm a two-way guy. I'm an undrafted free agent. I've got to really grind for every single thing I want in my career. So a lot of this is an informed bet on the type of person that he is and the path that he's already walked just to get to this point. But I love guys who are really high level defenders at the point of attack. If you're a smaller player like Porter is, you don't make it in the NBA by being a defensive liability. You have to more than overcompensate for that as a smaller guard and with his block numbers and the way that he flies around athletically to protect the basket as a help defender, that's really where my optimism for him comes in. I think anything else he gives on the offensive end, like he, he's got the talent to be able to do it, but smaller guards don't last in the NBA unless they can really defend above their weight class. I think Porter really can.
2: Uh, I mean, I got to start by asking about the blocks. I mean, he averaged like one and a half blocks a game, he had some games with five blocks. At six one, six two, like what's going on? How does he? How does he make this kind of impact? On, on is it ex, is it athleticism? Because he's not super long either. I think he's like got like a six four wingspan. Like how is he doing this? Because you just don't see this kind of block profile for a guy with this you know physical profile. Yeah,
4: it's it's incredibly incredibly impressive what he's able to do, and a lot of it comes down to his instincts rotationally off the ball. Really good in. in breakdown situations amongst his teammates of flying in to protect the basket. He can contest shots from behind. His recovery is outstanding. He's got great quick twitch athleticism to recognize when there's something happening at the rim and he explodes there off one foot or off two feet. I think the best shot blockers are ones who can jump off either foot or either one or two feet and are really reactive in a quick manner in that regard, not guys who can only jump in a certain manner. And and that's really kind of the nerd talk for me, saying like he's a he's an unbelievable athlete for somebody of his size. But it's it's athleticism, it's instinct, it's length a little bit. Like I think he plays longer than he's really listed at. Uh, big fan of Porter's on the defensive end.
3: Yeah, so uh, I should probably state again, uh, the the signing hasn't been official, but we we assume if he does in fact get a two way, probably someone that we're going to see with with the Cavs uh, in summer league. Uh, we know that doesn't even necessarily guarantee a training camp deal. I, I think RJ Nemhard was on the Cavs uh, two-way contract at the time of Summer League and might not make it a training camp. But when it comes to Craig Porter Jr., is is he someone that you do kind of see sticking with, with some team, whether it's the Cavs or someone else, uh, in training camp and, and earning his way onto a roster? Because when Carter's playing the highlights there, and, and when I, I watch him, he's just someone that jumps off of the screen. And I just can't help but, like compare him to other undrafted players this was uh, an nba finals where one team had seven undrafted players that you know were overlooked for one reason or another and and cracked an nba rotation just found a spot and someone with those kind of block steal numbers that seems to have good instincts uh, running the pick and roll this just feels like a guy that is going to stick in my opinion Yeah. And
4: those are a lot of the similar sentiments that I have. Like he, he's just, he competes on the defensive end of the floor. He finds ways to be impactful and he's got enough finishing craft and touch and and shooting elsewhere that he can refine those traits on offense and really stick around. Uh, I, again, I really like Porter. The trivia question I keep going back to per 40 minutes, he actually had more blocks than Noah Clowney, Asar Thompson, Adama Sanogo, Brandon Miller, or a men Thompson in this draft class. Like oh <laughs> th- those are all the guys that we talk about as being huge or unbelievable athletes. And for him to, to get those block numbers on the same tier as or above those guys, really, really impressive.
2: Yeah. It, it's, it's really fun to have it like an interesting prospect, even, even though, you know, again, like we're talking about undrafted or late second round guys that are like, you know, their, their success outcome to be NBA rotation players is not a high percentage But he does seem to have a few of those characteristics that make you go, huh, that's interesting. I do want to ask about some of the reasons that, you know, maybe he was not drafted, Uh, probably starting with his age. You know, he's 23, um, you know, one of the oldest prospects in the draft. If he was 21 and had the season he had in Wichita State, do you think he's a guy that would probably have been selected? Like, how much do you think the age was, was a factor in kind of holding him back? from from getting a, actually picked in the draft.
4: So when you're under six foot five, I always say that your game has to be perfectly well-rounded and you need to avoid checking negative boxes for NBA teams, right? Age is seen as one of those for draft players. We don't want to invest in somebody with a high value draft selection who probably closer to hitting their ceiling or the, the end of their trajectory than a younger player. He's Undersized, And because of that, you really don't get room for one other type of, I don't want to call it a mistake, but you've got to be so pristine in every other way to overcome that. If Porter's 20 or 21 years old and puts up the season he just had, which, you know, two to one assist to turnover ratio, seven and a half rebounds per 40 minutes, all of those block shots, very efficient from the field in the course of the entire season. He's probably a mid to late second round draft pick. But I mean, we're talking about other guards who are undersized and one in, in the same conference he played in this year, Marcus Sasser, who is one of the best perimeter defenders in all of college basketball, shot over 40% from three, 45% and above the last two years on catch and shoot attempts. He's small, he's tough, he shoots really well from three. He's been part of winning programs at Houston. He went 25th. I mean smaller guards, they just they're not thought of as being the winning piece in the NBA long term there's only so many of them you can have on your roster and still put together a real quality and versatile defense. So I, I think for Porter, even a couple of years ago, if he had an output like this, his ceiling is still probably middle part of the second round. Mm-hmm. But two years later with that life experience, knowing what it's like to run a team at Wichita state this
3: past year, you feel really comfortable
4: getting somebody like him in the, the undrafted ranks.
3: Yeah. yeah I, I, I did. Uh, this, go ahead, Justin. I, I was just going to say, th- this is why we bring you on, because this is such better nuanced analysis than me, because I would just look, undrafted guard from Wichita State. Okay, so he's Fred Van Vliet. Then I look at the, the blocks and the steals. I'm like, okay, he's Derek White. He's Derek White and Fred Van Vliet. Derek, Derek Van Vliet. Yeah, Derek <laughs> Van Vliet. That's, that's exactly who it is.
2: Now, Carter, you, you go with a real question. Okay, real question. Um, Because you look at his shooting splits this year, 52.8% uh, uh, from 2 point range 36 from 3 and you go oh man this is a really nice profile then you look at 2 years ago he shot 38 I'm sorry he shot 38.7% from 2 point range then got up to 46 then got up to 53 Uh, with small guards obviously finishing around the rim is going to be an interesting you know, conundrum and do you think that this improved percentile was him you know just getting older or improving his shot diet because like You know, the the getting, you know, getting more efficient as you get older is like a good thing. But it's also sometimes it's like, well, you're 22 playing against a bunch of 18 year olds. So, like, is it somewhere in the middle? What's kind of your opinion there?
4: Yeah, I haven't watched a ton of older Porter film. Uh, You know, I I didn't see all of those younger years before really this season when he popped a little bit more as a draft. You weren't watching
2: Vincennes University, Juco? I I wasn't watching. I wasn't watching a lot of Vincennes
4: in in my uh, in my My spare time here, but I I think with Porter and watching a consistent thing about his finishes is that he tends to be over reliant on craft. He uses the rim to protect himself from rim protectors. He finds ways to really spin it with, I think the kids call it jelly nowadays, like off the glass and and find ways know. we, Justin yeah. and I would know, as I <laughs> confidently nod. Oh yeah, yeah, they do. Hey, I I didn't know Kobe Bufkin not wearing a shirt was a an in vogue thing to do. So I'm the wrong guy to know about any of this stuff. But like, I I think guys who are overly reliant on touch around the basket, craftiness, avoiding contact, using the rim to protect them, those guys need the game to slow down and they need a lot of space to operate in in order to have those efficient metrics around the rim. So. A lot of this comes down to Wichita State being the right scheme and fit for him, for him getting a little bit older and the rest of the game slowing down. I'm curious to see if that is something that would continue, but I was blown away by the amount of hang time that he gets on some of his finishes where he then spins it off the glass. Really smart when he drives in the middle third of the floor of using his shoulders to veer into the defender to create more space for a touch shot on the other side of the basket. Like there are a lot of really crafty maneuvers he has in his arsenal that suggest he can remain a good finisher while being an undersized guard.
3: Carter stole my ad read. So I'm going to steal his question. Fill in the blank. Craig Porter Jr. will make it as an NBA rotation player if blank happens. If opportunity and preparation happen
4: you know, for it's a John Wooden saying, right? Like uh, operation and opportunity and preparation are what lead to success. I I think for, for Porter, when you're an undrafted guy, opportunity doesn't just come because you've killed it in the G League. You've done an unbelievable job of proving yourself through training camp. You need a certain few things to break away in front of you where the team needs you to fill that role. And he needs to be prepared to do what is best for the Cleveland Cavaliers or whatever NBA team is employing him at that time in order to make it. He has enough diverse skills in his bag. He has shown that he can finish near the basket, score in the mid-range, step back and hit shots from three. I think he's going to be fine playing off ball in some regard. He's shown that he can compete on the defensive end of the floor and recover from behind, as well as help protect the basket from the weak side. He's just got to figure out, what the team is asking of him when the moments that he's in, how to best fit into their scheme. And like any other undersized point guard who comes in and gets the ball in their hands, find a way to run the team in effective way and do what's best for everyone around you. I think a lot of times the tough part about being in that situation where you're scratching and clawing for your role in your next contract is that it's not about the numbers that you produce, it's about the number of correct decisions you make for the team around you. So he's got to be able to take advantage of the opportunity he's given by just doing what the Cavs need him to do.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, Adam, you've been uh, amazing as always. be, By the way, guys, a lot of draft analysts that do this professionally cannot go this deep on Craig Porter Jr. So it's, <laughs> it's so appreciated uh, that you're able to come bring this kind of expertise um, but I did kind of want to end with a wider question. So in the last two years, the Cavs have invested five second round picks or, you know, or, or, you know, uh, reportedly, uh, in, in Porter Jr.'s case, uh, a, a two-way contract. Uh, so my question is who is m- most likely to earn a full-time contract with the Cavaliers between Luke Travers, Khalifa Jop, Isaiah Mobley, Craig Porter Jr., or Armani Bates?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I really liked Isaiah Mobley coming out of the draft this this time a year ago. Uh, I think that bigger guys who can shoot it and make good decisions with the ball in their hands are always going to be a valuable bench chess piece for an NBA team long-term. And that is the the ideal version of who Mobley turns into in the NBA. Very smart player. It's a little bit more skill with the ball in his hands than he gets credit for, but his role is primarily going to be as a floor spacer on offense. I think there's, there's value in keeping a guy like that around. Uh, That's not me playing the nepotism card in any sort of way here, but I I do think that what he brings to the table is valuable for NBA teams.
3: Yeah. We, we both really like Isaiah Mobley and him having such a good year with the charge as well uh, made me feel good about it. I, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the Cavs use these two way contracts because, yeah, they got three of them now. Um, in theory, Amani Bates and Craig Porter Jr. may take up two of those. And given the Cavs need uh, for depth with the big men, uh, I could definitely see Isaiah Mobley getting the opportunity to- yeah, We could have... literally
2: get this answered in yeah, we... a month.
3: <laughs> I, I mean, the the answer I'm hoping for when we look back on this podcast is that it's multiple of these guys, but you know, it's, it's going to always be an uphill climb. There's so much talent entering the league uh it's going to be a fight for every single minute so it'll be really interesting to see how this uh shakes out adam thank you so much for joining us we are going to transition and talk a little bit about free agency but we really really appreciate the time before we let you out of here anything you want the audience to, to know about that you got going on anything you want to plug
4: Uh, First off, thank you guys. I always love coming on and talking Cavaliers with you all. Uh, True professionals, as you proved with the expert ad reads that you got to a little bit earlier. And I I really love being here with you guys. Uh, Anyone who wants to follow my work, go follow me on Twitter at TheBoxN1 underscore. It's where you can find links to all my work in the various places that I'm doing it. Uh, The the substack page that I run is probably the most in-depth service that can get you a ton of information scouting wise, particularly upcoming on the 2024 NBA draft. Can't believe we're there already, but that's what I will be turning my attention to and locking myself in the film room so I don't have to learn what jelly layups or guys wear to draft nights for fashion statements anymore.
3: Well, we will definitely have you on to talk about the Cavs. 2024 first round pick. We're back having first round picks. That's it. That's exciting. 2024 is one of those years that we will have one. Uh so we'll see where that ends up and we will definitely be bugging you then. So thank you so much, Adam. Really, really appreciate your time.
2: Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you, sir. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands,
1: ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge.
6: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's dot acom slash iHeart.
3: All righty. So we will move on. Uh, Carter, it's unbelievable. Big thanks to Adam uh, for coming on. Uh, I just, I can't believe the draft is already coming and gone. And we are on the verge of NBA free agency kicking off. Um, the legal tampering window (laughs) opens up, uh, Friday the 30th. I I believe it's always the
2: silliest branding, the legal tampering window.
3: Yeah. I I don't even know if that's the actual name or not, but we're we're going to get, I think it is for the NFL Uh,
2: either way. It's it's all, it's all ridiculous. Legally is. Yeah, but it's, that's functionally what it
3: is. Uh, none of the signings will be official. You can always have the possibility of a DeAndre Jordan, uh, situation, which, Uh, we want to avoid on this podcast so we will be podcasting after that window is over uh we will be coming july 6th to talk about it but i I think just given the fact that we will have a little bit of a layoff until some of these um signings are official i want to talk about realistic expectations going into free agency um kind of where where we're at with this and i mean my number one hope the thing that i care most about right now carter is re-signing karis levert because in my opinion Karis LeVert is better than any of the options that are going to be available for the mid-level exception, which is the Cavs' biggest kind of chip in free agency. Uh, It's worth noting that if the Cavs were to complete a sign-in trade for a player above that, you would lose the mid-level exception. I'm 99% sure of that. I'm not a cap expert, but I am 99% sure that that's the case. Um, So realistically, mid-level exception is probably the biggest chip that the Cavs have uh, to play with. And just bringing back Karis Levert, I, I think, is so important. I think he really showed a lot after the, the trade deadline and, and has shown that he is dedicated to finding a groove and making it work and playing team basketball with the Cavs. So I want to see Karis Levert back. Th- that's that's my number one priority right now.
2: Yeah, well, and I think it could be glossed over as a little bit of a foregone conclusion. Obviously, Harris is has uh, said pretty on record that he wants to come back. The Cavs have been pretty uh, obvious about wanting him back. And then you just look at the mechanics of, of, you know, where the Cavs are in their team building process. And you really don't want to let an asset walk out the door. Even, even if you're not a big Karis Levert fan, I would really suggest that you, you should also want them to re-sign Karis Levert, um, uh, you know, at at a, at a reasonable number. And um, it, it, he showed enough in the playoffs, I think, definitely, that you, even even if you were skeptical that you should want him back, because, again, you just don't want talent to walk out the door. This is going to be an over-the-cap team starting this summer, <laughs> moving forward, you know, uh, and probably will be for the foreseeable future, barring any crazy cap spikes, which I don't think are going to happen in the new CBA. So, uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right Um, that, that Karras is the move, and then, you know, like, to the sign and train note again uh my legitimate cba strategy now is just to say stuff and get corrected if i'm wrong that's how mm. i learn about the cba these days but like would you rather re-sign karis and ha- sign someone for the mid-level or would you like to sign and trade karis and then or or someone of that ilk and then hard cap yourself you know it's it it, it it's just a little too many logistics when you can just bring the guy back um, yeah. So, so I agree with bringing Karis back, but I do want to just ask, you know, looking at the landscape, you know, four or five days out from the legal tampering window opening. What do you want them to do, man?
3: Um, At this point, like my number one priority is adding shooting, because if we are assuming that Karis Levert is back, you've got six guys that I think you feel fairly confident about being rotation players um fun fun fact carter if you had to guess what the Kaznet net rating was when okoro mobley and allen were on the court together against the knicks where where would you guess that that was at
2: in I'm the playoffs i'm just gonna guess plus three it was plus
3: 23. oh my gosh yeah and f- 51 possessions just one of those things i looked up today when i was arguing about hey you know Okoro, Mobley, and Allen really did work over the course of the last two seasons. I, I feel good about them together. And I got countered with, did it work in the playoffs? And in, <laughs> I was surprised to find out how well it worked out. But, you know, we, we still ha- obviously have questions about Isaac Okoro and how his growth is going to go with this team. But I think I can very, very confidently say that he's a rotation player. Uh, th- that I feel good about being in the Cavs rotation. And I think we have multiple seasons to show that he is a player that makes an impact, especially over the course of a regular season. So if you have those five and Karis Levert, you need to add another player that you feel good about being in the rotation. And with the mid-level exception, my number one priority is is shooting. I I want to get a volume three-point shooter. I think looking at the options, a lot of the time the things I'm finding is that these potential options, while they had good to decent shooting seasons a lot of the quality of their looks wasn't as good as what they would be getting with the Cavs in all likelihood looking at kind of the the openness of guys like Jetty Osmond or Dean Wade or Isaac Okoro they're going to be getting better looks with the Cavs and my number one priority is if you can get a guy that hits shots at league average rates at a high volume that would be great If those options are off the table, I will take volume shooting and that confidence to take the shots, banking on the fact that, hey, we need someone that's willing to take those shots, those contested shots, like you said, uh, that you notice in the playoffs, watching uh, Miami play and, and all these other teams, someone that's willing to go out there and actually fire them up because you have to have some level of confidence that they're going to get good quality looks with Cavs. So volume shooting is my number
2: one priority. I couldn't agree more, and I noticed you're 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 doing your very uh clever Justin thing where you don't say names. Mm. Uh and I and I know I know who and what you are, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire here and ask you to power rank the following outcomes. Okay. Grant Williams, mm-hmm. Max Struess, Kelly Ubre, or splitting up the mid level exception and using it on two different players. Uh, that are maybe of lesser pedigree. Yeah, so splitting is
3: probably my least favorite option because um, I, I, you know, I just even looking at it this way, Carter. Like we 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 talk about trying to add a seventh rotation guy, if healthy, I feel decent about Dean Wade being a, a guy that can contribute over a regular season. I feel decent about uh, Osman Osmond uh, being able to go out there and give them good minutes over the course of a season. So I really would like to use that all in one chunk. Grant Williams would probably be my top one, but I have to, like, I don't think that he's going to be available for the mid-level exception. I I think that that, I think that would be a a great pick. And the reason why I say him over those other ones you listed is the two way impact. Like, I I think he straddles that line of, I have confidence in his abilities defensively. I think he can be someone that can shoot threes at volume and, and will get good looks with the calves and fits well. Uh, he can rotate well with the bigs. Like, I just, I like a lot of things about that fit. I just think he's going to be a little too pricey. Max Struce would probably be number two on there because volume shooting makes them. Uh, I looked this up uh, when you're talking about openness rankings. Remember, uh, we've referenced this a couple times. Jerry Osman was in the 87th percentile. Max Struce was in the fourth percentile when it came to the Dude, openness.
2: fly at this guy and there's so much gravity.
3: There is real gravity there, and you just have to bet on the fact that he's going to get good looks with the Cavs. And even when he wasn't getting good looks, as he did this season, um, still knocked him down by no means a perfect player. He has flaws defensively, can run a little bit of pick and roll, um, you know, and we've seen that he can get hot or cold, but he's going to have gravity. And I think he would be someone that makes a lot of sense. And then Kelly Oubre would be third there, because I think he's someone that, I have confidence he can contribute on the defensive end. Streaky, streaky shooter, but he is someone that's willing to get him up. And when you look at someone that has attempted seven a game over the last two years, career 34, 35%, I think if he's shooting 34, 35% at seven attempts a game and playing defense and willing to create and take tough shots and make tough shots when the defense bogs down, I think that that's something that can be valuable. So, there are no home runs when it comes to free agency, especially uh, w- with the options that the Cavs have. This is going to be a tough line to straddle, but that's probably where I fall on this. Where
2: Where are you at? I was about to say permission to answer my own question. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think uh, I I almost agree with you. Grant Williams would be my number one, and I also think there's enough teams that are navigating their way to open space that he might not be gettable for that for that number. Um, I think the fact that he came out and played really, really tough for Boston down the stretch after being in and out of the rotation early in the playoffs. Um, and you know, and just the fact that he's he's a young guy who can play the play the four, hit a, a really nice percentage on his open threes. I just think he's gonna price himself out of that. However, I think when you're looking at the Cavs, two biggest lessons to take away from the postseason is we need toughness and we need shooting. And he's a tough player who is not afraid of anybody or anything i think you know a lot of people clowned him after uh, he went at jimmy butler i thought that was great you know I, I love that kind of attitude and i think the Cavs need some more bad dudes that are willing to willing to get up and and, and challenge uh their opponents um uh please even clarify in, what you mean by bad dudes <laughs> uh well you know what i mean like uh yeah. badasses you know um, uh, and like, I just like his toughness. I like, uh, I love the positional versatility. A player like that could give the Cavs, uh, you know, right. Like in that playoff series, it was play the two bigs or play Danny Green at the four, you know, and like the idea of being able to just, to uh, have a more known commodity, uh, at the, at the three, four swing would be good. I, I, everyone tells me he shouldn't play the three. I just watched Lowry Markinen play the three for this team on a very good defense, uh, if you scheme appropriately, I think they could certainly survive minutes there. Um, so I really like Grant Williams. Struce, I don't need to reiterate, you made all the great points. Um, only thing I'll say about Struce or Williams is what's interesting about this is I think whoever they sign uh, is not the is probably not who I would start at the three. Um, uh, and I think some people think that because there's that kind of perceived hole at the three that whoever they sign needs to fill that role. I love Max Struis. Uh, Because what you can get is I you, you look at Donovan's lineup data when Darius was out of the lineup and the offense was pretty rough comparatively. Uh, And I think my conclusion I drew from that, obviously, other than that Darius is an amazing playmaker and makes offenses great, was that Donnie was playing with a lot of cramped lineups when Darius was sitting. Darius is the best shooter on the team. So the idea of darius or donovan having an elite shooter with them every second the other one is sitting is very very appealing to me and Struess doesn't wouldn't have to close every game to make that a worthwhile signing for me um you know i think just constant shooting on the floor is something the cavs could not say about themselves last year mm-hmm. uh and i would like them to come closer to being able to say that uh this year i would actually go a splitting up the mid level after that Uh, in my next in my rankings, I love the idea of if you're not going to get a perfect fit, um, getting a couple bites at the apple at a perfect, at a, at a, at a good fit. Um, and, and, you know, giving yourself more chances to get your seventh and eighth rotation guys. I think there are a lot of interesting players that are in that kind of sub mid-level range that I would really love to see on the Cavs. You know, a guy like, uh, George Sniang, um, a guy like Dario Saric. Um, the kind of people who you might be able to piecemeal out and and get that you wouldn't be able to get for the minimum. So I think I would go there, and then Ubre, you know, it, which is funny because he's my lowest ranked option here. I don't think it's a bad thing they signed Kelly Ubre. I just think when you're evaluating what Kobe Altman told us uh, in the immediate postseason, where he said shooting's a problem, we got to address our shooting. Um, your road to addressing that gets murkier. Um and you have to get more creative with how you how you're going to address that. Is it Seth Curry for the bi- biannual or something like that? Uh, or you know maybe trying to to orchestrate a trade. But it's I if they just were to sign Kelly Oubre and then fill out the roster with minimum players, I think it'll be harder for them to say, yeah, we addressed our shooting this off season. So because of that that making that road hard and that's the thing I care most about. He would be my lowest ranked option, even though. He might be the best player of yeah, the group in in a vacuum. Yes, yes. So so like it, it's an interesting conundrum the Cavs find themselves in. I have another question for you. Shoot. Do we think Harry Barnes might be a little more available at that number than we think he will than we thought he was? Um, uh, uh, you know, just just a month ago, because I- the cap space teams are not a plenty. He's getting a little bit older, and his team certainly looks like they're prepping a big offer elsewhere. Yeah. I. Uh, Your thoughts? I guess
3: maybe, uh, again, that's a guy that I, I think will go for more than the middle-level exception, but I, I am interested to see the ripple effects of, you know, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, taking his player option, not hitting the free agent market. Like, that seemed like below market value. Nas Reed, Nas Reed signed for below market Four, value.
2: $14 million. I thought he would get way more than that.
3: You look at the reported trade today with John Collins going to Utah. All of a sudden, the team that had 25 million in cap space may no longer have that cap space because they just have absorbed a player into that. That's going to have ripple effects when there really weren't that many teams with cap space. So, um, I guess
2: looking at that in theory, it's possible. But again, it, like just, this... it just it just was a thing that popped, passed through my brain in a fleeting moment today. I was like, hmm. I was sure Harrison Barnes was going to get 18 to 20 and be far outside of the Cavs range. And now I'm just, I'm just 20% less sure. And talk about a great fit for, for this roster. Uh, yeah. once warriors nemesis, Harrison Barnes.
3: Yeah. I'm, I mean that he's, he's already helped the Cavs win one championship. Uh, I'd love to see him win another, uh, with the Cavs. Now,
2: now we can't sign him. We, we, we've dogged him too thoroughly.
3: <laughs> no, I, I really like Harry B. And honestly, uh, I, I think he got way too much flack uh, from Warriors fans who, who are looking to to make excuses for their guys. Was so he really was
2: really good in games one through three of that series. Yeah. Yeah. He was good in the Warriors wins.
3: And uh, the, he wasn't the only player that was bad in those Warriors losses. Uh, just don't ask Warriors fans. They, they will tell you that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, he would obviously be a, an exciting option. And I, like the, the sense I'm getting from you is that it matters order of operations, right? Like it matters who goes first, who's available. Like, even looking back at last summer, like there were reports that the Cavs were interested in guys like Kyle Anderson and and a bunch of small forwards. They all went, and then they signed Ricky Rubio, uh, Robin Lopez, Howell Neto. That was later. I I always feel like people act like that was day one free agency signings. They explored other options first, and I, I feel like the Cavs are going to have a better free agency pitch this time around because you have Donovan Mitchell. You have Darius Garland, who continues to get better as a player. You have Evan Mobley, who established himself as one of the best defensive players in the league already at 22. And uh, we've said this a million times, their development matters more than anything that happens in free agency. But I do think the development they showed this past season is going to make Cleveland a a more appealing location. So landing one of these guys would be really exciting. I definitely get the case you're making for splitting up the mid-level exception, I'm also curious to see what they do with like the biannual exception, what they do with the that minimum signings. Like, Do they bring back Danny Green? I would love to see Danny Green back on this team.
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events.
6: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L E E S A dot com slash iHeart.
2: I, I would too. I'd be very interested to see kind of what they where they are uh, on that, and where Danny is in his recovery. And that actually leads me to my next question. And I have a few answers if you need a moment to gather because uh, we did all our prep for the Spinella side of the pod. We're 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 spitballing in here. Um, but do you have any like kind of off the beaten path names that aren't going to be the higher paid folks in free agency that you're like, Oh man, you know, like my Howell netto Neto obsession that happened for that lasted for years. Who are the guys that you're, if the Cavs were to sign and maybe add with minimum or biannual exception kind of money, would you go, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have that player join the team. I don't know if I, if anyone would go so excited. I, Name that I'm I like. talking the the irrationally excited where it's like this probably won't be that great but I just really like the player.
3: I really like Yuta Watanabe. Um, I, I I liked him when he was with Toronto. I, I think that he's um not a volume guy but he he can provide two way impact and he's really kind of grown as a shooter. Uh, so he'd be something that someone that I find interesting. Uh, maybe T.J. Warren. Uh, just like going back on a flyer. Off- yeah, going off the, the that bubble uh hype and, and just hoping that hey, maybe lightning you, you catch lightning in a bottle another time. Um I, I don't know. There, there's not a lot of names that are really me. I got me. a lot
2: of names for you, brother. Oh yeah. people I would really, really be interested a- in. How many are Canadian? Uh, O'Shea Brissett. Let, let's throw him uh, out there too. <laughs> he is he is not on my list. Uh though though I am a fan. Uh Kata Job uh who has just quietly turned into a really nice swing big uh in San Antonio over the years. And they've they've added uh, a healthy amount of big big man talent in the draft between Leonard Miller and obviously the greatest uh prospect since LeBron James. Maybe he becomes available. Maybe they maybe they they let him walk. Mo Wagner in Orlando could be a really nice center option that has a little juice um for for a team that continues to add uh very very playable players and like he might be a guy that they're like, well, you know, like he's just not a priority. Uh Troy Brown, uh, I don't think I'm I'm mm. not sure how expensive a guy like that would be, but he's someone I really uh I'm I'm a really uh big fan of. Damian Lee, I thought he played gave really, really good minutes uh to the Phoenix Suns and could be kind of the the poor man's version of like what a Max truce edition would look like. He can really, really shoot the ball. Um There's a lot of cool players. Trey Lyles is a cool player, Uh, the uh, Canadian. Count it. uh, That I think would be a really fun fit. Um, You know, there are just so many names out here. I really like Jermichael Green uh, as a as a four five kind of big who can who can shoot the ball a little bit and add a little bit of space. Uh, I just think there's a lot of roads for this team to go um, uh, with with to fill out their roster. Um, and I'm really excited to see because if you look at how many players are for sure going to be on the team. It's not that they're going to have at least a few minimum uh, contracts to dole out, and kind of who they choose to invest in, I think, is going to tell us a lot about kind of where they want to patch up their roster. Do they want to add a third point guard, uh, in, in like they had in Howl Neto uh, last year, or do they want to let it ride, knowing that Karis can can handle, Ricky can handle, Donnie can handle? Um, uh, in a pinch and maybe invest a little bit more on a few swings at the wing or on bigs. Uh, I'm really excited to see how they fill out the entire roster, not just where they're going to spend the big money because we see teams find helpful players on minimum contracts all the time. Yeah. Um, And I think that I'm holding the Cavs accountable to that as much as I am on their mid-level of like, hey, you have to find wins when you're asset poor on the trade market because you did make an all-in move on a guy like donovan mitchell you have to find cool interesting players who help you all over the place yeah um so they really have to have a no turn no stone unturned type of policy heading into this offseason i'm really excited to see how they fill out the roster
3: i am too and and you know
2: what i i'm feeling even
3: more rejuvenated uh looking at what they did on draft night looking at hey took a really interesting swing on Amani bates and, and Uh, Adam Spinella did a great job getting me more excited for him. Uh, Craig Porter Jr., if that does, in fact, come down to pass, that's a guy that I can see, you know, kind of one of those moves on the fringes that pans out the same way Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens did. And we'll we'll see what happens, right? Like, if they do use the mid-level exception all in one chunk and get that seventh guy you feel really good about, I'm sure they're going to explore trade options as well, right? Like, it might not be resolved with one of those minimum contract signings but maybe you find a guy that you know just no longer has the opportunity or, or needs a, a change of scenery and that ends up being a hit for the calves like i really don't think it's going to take tons i i know they have limited options to work with here but the, this is a front office that's been aggressive that's been creative that's valued skill sets in untraditional ways as well um and, and said hey we we will make weird fits work if the skill sets mesh and i'm really interested to see what they do with that obviously we will be quiet uh from here on out uh until after july 6th at once some of these trends yeah i'm 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 actually going to be fleeing the city carter i'm going back uh i'm i'm doing a little bit of a cabin trip uh starting friday through tuesday so i'll be a little more quiet but i'll 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 be uh i'll still be checking my phone uh compulsively because i'm, I'm just curious to to see what every rumor and rumbling is. Uh, big thanks to everyone that tuned in live. Big thanks to Adam Spinelli. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the Box n One, um, j- phenomenal YouTube channel. Phenomenal an- analysis. I am tired. Uh, speaking of cabin, I was working all weekend, Carter. So I I I powered. I I I, I was working really damn hard. <laughs> I'm very very sore. I powered, just chugged a green tea before this year podcaster. And, and yeah, I, I made it. I, I, I probably rushed through a few too many things because the, the green tea was bringing the demons out of me. But you know what? It is what it is. Massive thanks to everyone that tuned in live on the YouTube. We appreciate you guys. Uh, if you're listening via your podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. You won't be part of the Ch- Downs exclusive Discord chat. Send a screenshot of a review to chasedownplot at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, yo cats.